The limited partners shares in the potentially outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but as a passive investor, and has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. And that is why we're here together. 90% of the millionaires out there built their net worth with real estate. However, 0% of the billionaires are hands-on managing the real estate assets because there simply isn't enough time. My name is Jake Wiley, and for the past 16 years, I've been investing in real estate, and I've learned a thing or two. But the most important lesson is how to leverage the expertise and time of others to maximize your investment potential. Welcome to the Limited Partner Podcast. With all the noise out there right now, and boy, is there a lot of it. I don't think Washington is watching the commercial real estate market. There's a pending train wreck that is poised to unfold over the next two years, and now is the time to do something about it, but the attention just seems to be elsewhere. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jake Wiley. Now, before we get into the heavier topics, some more casual and lighthearted thoughts from this week, there's a quote out there that's been attributed to Brian Tracy, and Jim Rohn, and actually probably a bunch of other motivational speakers, and it goes like this. If your life is worth living, it's worth recording. And since I started podcasting nearly three years ago, this quote's been resonating with me, but I've added and rearranged it kind of for me. So here's my version of it. Planning to record your life helps ensure it's a life worth living. I know that seems very like social media age, but sitting down at the end of the day, looking back, trying to think about what was worth documenting was so much less fruitful for me than starting at the beginning of the day and planning on what I was gonna record. So I've been recording work-related stuff nearly every day now for a while and what news I find interesting and some of my reflections on what are we getting into, similar to this podcast. But recently I've layered in more personal aspects. I bought a GoPro camera and have been learning how to use it. And frankly, making sure I'm recording something every day. I'm forcing myself to get comfortable with it and planning out what I think is interesting. So for those of you out there, yeah, I'm probably a little bit late to the game on the GoPro side, but I've got nice camera equipment. You can, if you're watching this podcast, you can tell, but really getting like my nice camera out and taking it with me, I just never did it, right? And you know, I've got four kids and we're always on the move and kind of going up from here to there. Like the GoPro has actually been amazing. And I also picked up this book. It's called How to Shoot Videos That Doesn't Suck by Steve Stockman. And the moral of the entire book, and I can basically lay it out for you, is to think in really short shots, like five seconds, have a hero. So that's kind of what you're filming. It could be a person, it could be an event, it could be something. And then make sure you tell the entire story in that short amount of time. Like, I'm not talking about a full-blown story, but what does that shot mean? And when you kind of frame it up like that, it's really helped kind of one, make interesting you know, videos more interesting because you're not just trying to record everything and be like, all right, we'll, we'll catch the interesting things because it's really hard. But it's been a lot of fun to learn and frame up events that way. The tangential aspect to me is that I'm actually doing more cool stuff. I'm having more fun because I'm focused on it. So I guess to all of those you guys that are out there that are just kind of want to be interested in doing something different or just being more interesting as a person, get a camera out and film something every day that is or could be interesting. And you'll find, like I did, that one thing is probably something you never would have done. 
So you're just adding, you know, 365 cool little events to your life every day. And I think that the more you do it, the better it gets. All right. That's enough about like my latest escapade with the GoPro camera and carrying that thing everywhere. I actually went out on a walk with it the other day to do this cool time lapse of the six mile walk I did. So I did six miles and it shows up on my camera in like 30 seconds. So it was really kind of fun to watch, but my wife didn't think that was super cool. But let's switch gears. Let's get in today's show. And I think the topic's a little bit heavier. So I wanted to start with something that was a little bit lighter. So. Washington is finally beginning to worry about the potential risk posed by the $20 trillion commercial real estate market, which could potentially face a crash in and kind of over these next two years. So go ahead and get a clear picture of a slow moving train wreck that will take two years to unfold in your mind. Just imagine that here's this massive train. It's a $20 trillion train coming down the tracks and it's going to take two years for this train wreck to unfold and kind of on the front end, we're seeing it happening. So following the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank, we are starting to finally get reports that Washington is paying attention. Now, like we've covered on the show many times, a lot of the risk is due to the pandemic that has disrupted the office leasing and construction markets and forcing companies to shift to remote work and reduce office space which has left the market saturated with vacancies. Like we've talked about that. We know it's out there. You know, we think that going, what's going back to the office will be about 40 to 50% of what it was pre-pandemic. Now, although commercial real estate delinquencies remain pretty low by historic standards, at least 400 US banks with at least $100 billion in total assets have three times as many loans for commercial real estate as they do for safer investment. The fear is that many of these leases are gonna expire over the next two years, potentially causing companies to decide not to renew their leases. This is office you know, occupiers and their leases and insist or insist on more favorable terms at renewal. And this is gonna drive the value of commercial real estate down across the board, right? Like, yes, it'll be really focused in the office sector, but it is still in this commercial real estate realm, which is gonna impact the entire sector. So it's really important to reiterate that office leases are typically three to five years in length. Thus, many of the leases that were written just before or in the early days of the pandemic have not reached their lease termination dates. And so while you're hearing a lot of people banging the drum about getting people back into the office, a lot of that is because business owners and really the operators of these businesses are sitting in essentially empty offices and writing big checks every month and aggravated to be shelling out so much money for space that's barely being used. But the reality is that the market has kind of come to accept that the current occupancy numbers or what they will be going forward. And like when these owners are faced with fighting against the current and writing out these huge checks for unused space or simply eliminating lease space, many occupiers are just gonna be opting for a reduced footprint and we're already seeing that. So for those of you out there thinking that the tides are turning and that we are moving into an environment where the employee is losing their power, while that may be true, the resentment factor will be real, right? So if you force or employees that feel forced to return to the office or fear losing their jobs, they're going to be resentful. 
And that's going to lead to reduced productivity and ultimately turnover, which is super expensive. And it's funny because that's what we're claiming that returning to the office is going to fight. But if that's not the culture, right? If the culture is no longer, hey, we're a company that gets together and we're in the office and you're basically just forcing people back in, what you're going to get is a bunch of resentment. So you may have this, you know, productivity spike or uptake as people get back into the office, but like gone are the days where somebody needs to turn up to the office to pound out eight hours of solo contribution type work. Frankly, it's inefficient and it consumes people's most precious asset, which we talk about at the top of the show, their time. And that's mostly sucked up in this commute time. And then also like running out to get sandwiches or lunch or whatever they're doing. It's just a lot of time during the day that's spent commuting. So in a conversation I had with a large national office owner, they said, frankly, they've looked at millions of studies and they found that the only thing that really matters in coming back to the office is it's inversely correlated to the commute time. So once you get a commute time that's past 15 to 20 minutes, the fall off in people coming back or actually you know, coming into the office is dramatic. So like all these fancy coffee bars, you know, free snacks and the collab rooms and, you know, the virtual stuff, it's all cool for about a month. And then it all goes back to commute time. And that's the reality. Like the world has changed. So let's get back to office valuations. And I mean, it's really the issue at hand. So what this means is that the loans many banks have made against office buildings based on the leases and the revenues that were in place or are really still in place are suddenly going to be worth much less. And that could lead to runs similar to what we saw with SVB that could bring down banks, right? So let's go back to the SVB. So SVB invested in, had all these deposits, they invested in treasuries, which frankly, everybody thought was safe, right? And then when people started actually pulling their money out for normal course of business, they actually had to start liquidating these treasuries at a loss, right? And once they liquidated them at a loss, more people were like, well, let's get our money out. The bank's losing money. And then it created a run on the bank and boom, overnight, that bank is gone. Very similar aspect could happen with real estate. And the banks that are at risk are the smaller regional institutions that have already suffered from wild swings this past month. So if you're listening to this in the future, this is March of 2023. It's really not something that's, you know, focused on these Wall Street giant banks, the big four that kind of define the 2008 crisis, right? So although policymakers maintain that these fears that I'm bringing up here are overstated, some analysts forecast that commercial real estate can contract in value by as much as 30%. So that's commercial real estate. And it's kind of driven off of this office issue. And some banks have already started diversifying their portfolios and stockpiling safe assets to protect against a downturn in this commercial real estate market. So I've been asking for months now, is the Fed in Washington really paying attention to it? The run on SVB and the fragility of the banking system and bank balance sheets lead me to believe that the whole picture really isn't being considered. 
You know, the Fed talks about inflation. Washington seems to be focused on completely nonsense issues at this point in time. But we are starting to see the Fed make some very vague statements that there is some concern investors should be mindful and articles out of Washington that legislators are clued in, but still think that the possibility of real repricing in the commercial industry, real estate industry is pretty remote. By no means am I the smartest guy in the room. But my pretty simple brain can do some addition still. If we know that lease renewals are coming up in the office space that are very unlikely to be renewed, thus generating lower revenues, and like we've talked about a million times on the show, lower net operating incomes, plus now you have higher interest rates on the debt, which is further reducing the net operating income. I mean, it's a much higher hurdle to get loans signed as well. It's going to lead to a pretty robust decrease in commercial real estate valuations. I mean, that's what's headed our way, which means that the banks will likely end up owning a lot of commercial real estate, which generally means they're going to have to sell it at an additional discount. Banks are not commercial asset operators and they're not meant to hold assets and they are meant like once they're on their balance sheets, they actually have to get them off very quickly because of the way legislation and the regulations work for banks. So this is not like, well, banks can just warehouse these things until they're happy with it. Some might, but like they're going to have to move this stuff, which means that they're going to be reducing the valuations of these properties even more. I think the time to act is now. I'd like to see more proactivity in engineering a softer landing. Just looking at the statistics on the banking industry and the overweighted portfolio of commercial assets, which by the way, used to be safe, but then again, so are treasuries. There is a calamity on the horizon. And what's mind blowing to me is that the simple math shows this train wreck coming while we have time to potentially do something about it. As always, there are opportunities here. The one thing I love about real estate is that it embodies scarcity. You can't make more real estate unless you're in Dubai. And as our population continues to grow, there will always be a need for real estate. So a correction will be a golden opportunity to pick up property at much lower valuations. But alternatively, if you want to make two phone calls that will take about a minute each and be probably the most painless calls you will ever make, Google search your two senators and give them a call. If you've never called your senator before, you basically call their office, an assistant will answer and ask how they can help. All you do is you tell them that you are concerned that we aren't being proactive about the commercial real estate market. And similar to the run on SBB, we could have a widespread run on the regional banks if nothing is done. They will say, thank you. And that's it. It's super simple. So I've called senators a bunch of times, right? And it really is painless. It seems really daunting if you've never done it before, but literally you just talk to an assistant that's like writing notes and they just stack all these things up and they basically aggregate all the comments and hand it to the senator at some point. Like that's how they make their decisions. So if we get a little bit of a groundswell of people calling, like this is actually a pretty big issue. And I actually think it's a bipartisan issue, meaning that like nobody wants to see the market collapse. Nobody wants to see us have a hard landing here. So, you know, if that's something that's of interest to you, give it a try. I'd love to hear how it goes. You know, maybe even respond in the comments or, Come back and ping me at Jake at the Limited Partner and let me know what your experience was, but it should be pretty simple. Alternatively, like you can sit around and wait for a big valuation drop. 
you know, the objective is to obviously have a bunch of cash ready to go and then figure out how you're going to finance it. Because when this thing cycles out of control, the banks are probably going to be less likely to lend because they're the one that own all the real estate. But then again, they may have to lend because they actually own the real estate and they need to move it. But there is opportunity here. I don't think Washington's paying attention. I don't think the Fed is really is paying as much attention as they should. They're starting to make some hints on it but there's a lot of work to do. But as always, thank you for listening to the show. This one got a little bit heavy, but I think there's some action items in there for all of us and there's some opportunity headed our way. So let's be ready for that. But if you like the show, you know, please do me a favor and go to Apple and give us a review. That would be super helpful. It helps the algorithm, helps the word get out there more. If you want more of these kind of updates every day, I scroll through an unreasonable amount of news feeds to kind of look for the trending headlines. And that's what generates a lot of these shows. But every week I put out a newsletter for you know the topics and the news that I think is worth watching. If you'd like to get on that, please go to thelimitedpartner.com forward slash news and just sign up for the newsletter. I'm not spamming you, I'm not selling you anything. Get on there and every week I'll send you an update. And as always, if there's anything that you would like to hear about on the show, please email me. Shoot me a note, jake at thelimitedpartner.com and let me know what you've got. I've already got a recommendation for a future show about basically putting good money in after bad, meaning that if you've already invested, and you think that your investment may be getting ready to go back to the bank or you know there's the potential for capital calls do you actually put your money in i think it's a phenomenal topic nate reed put that out there so a shout out to nate for that and keep your ear i guess to the podcast because that will be one of the next shows we release to kind of talk about what does that look like should you do it are you contractually obligated to do it? And then, you know, what are we thinking for the future in this kind of revaluation repricing segment? But anyway, that's it for this week. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I'd actually love for you to contribute to a future episode. If you have a question you'd like answered or a topic or a guest to bring on the show, please email me at jake at thelimitedpartner.com. Now I realize there's a lot of lingo that's thrown around on these shows, so I've created a cheat sheet for you with the top 26 terms that come up most often. Head on over to thelimitedpartner.com forward slash lingo for the list. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time.